Feminine here on Blog Talk. Uh, I think we're in our 13th year. One day I should actually count backwards and see if that's actually accurate. <laughs> well, you were just listening to Let the Way Be Open by Abigail Spinner McBride. And, uh, you know, if you're a regular listener, you know so much of this show is about uh, alternative history or herstory. Uh, it's about encouraging us to open our minds or let the way be open uh, for new thought. Um, you know, just looking at things with a, um, you know, with a more discerning eye, maybe with a fresh eye. And uh, I feel like uh, we are continuing in that vein tonight. Uh, and I pose the question, could an American indigenous matriarchal culture hold the key to understanding the mysterious Serpent Mound. Yes, Mm -hmm. uh, that's what we're going to be talking uh, about tonight. We're going to discover the possible connection between matriarchy and uh, serpent mounds. Um, Constance Tippett is uh, my uh, authority tonight. Uh, She's been studying this for quite some time, and she has some uh, very interesting and uh, uh, provocative theories that we should take seriously. Uh, She's also the author and artist who created the beautiful, beautiful goddess timeline. If you don't know what I'm talking about uh, when I say that, Google it, or I'm sure we will be getting her um, uh, website address before the end of the hour. And uh, um, it's probably goddesstimeline.com, I would imagine. But anyway, you need to know about the goddess timeline. Uh, Constance uh, also does sculptures of some of the images on the timeline. Um, uh, Constance, I hear you're in Portland now, uh, and you've been doing some research uh, on Serpent Mound uh, from a woman's point of view. Um, uh, why don't yes. you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Um, well, uh, I grew up uh, in Ohio, sur- surrounded by these mounds, and you'd be walking in the woods and you'd come upon one it, it always felt like you were in somebody else's living room <laughs> it it very it made me very conscious of the people that that were there before we were and uh you know there were small ones large ones there's a a big complex 
uh, um, in Newark, Ohio. That's Octagon State Park. It's uh, an outline of an octagon, and they're, you know, large mounds oriented to pivotal points on the horizon that register the solar and lunar alignments. And and I was interested in uh, Serpent Mound. That was my favorite one. And um, and when I heard lunar alignments, I thought, could there be some particular relationship to women? Uh, but there really hadn't been any research on, extensive research on lunar alignments. Um, and I want to um, tell your listeners that uh, I have a website uh, set up especially for this program, and it's called um, moonatserpentmound.org. It's not, it's moon at AT Serpent Mound, not a little squirrely mark, you know. So this way, if you go to that website, you can kind of look at the illustrations because to try to describe what Serpent Mound looks like or what it does, it's so much easier using diagrams than trying to explain a visual um, diagram. Um, Absolutely. That was a great idea, Constance. Yeah. So so say say the name of it again. Moon at SerpentMound.org. And it has... Listeners, if you're able to go there now uh, and still stay tuned into our interview, uh, why don't you try to do that? Uh, That might take you a minute or two, and uh, that will enhance uh, this conversation, I'm sure. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm sorry, Constance. Please uh, go ahead with what you were going to say. Yeah. Um, So when I heard lunar alignments, I immediately thought of women, and and, and then I read... um, Dr. Barbara Alice Mann's book, Iroquois Women, Gentuis, and she explained how the the five Iroquois nations were matriarchal, and it was it was like a revelation to me. I didn't know that we were living so close to a matriarchal society, you know, and uh, uh, it, it was, and also, you know, they influenced Katie Stanton and Lucretia Mott and Susan B. Anthony. These Iroquois women because uh, they would visit uh, the Iroquois women and realize that the Iroquois women ran everything. And so they realized that, uh, you know, they weren't stupid (laughs) and women could do these things. So um, I decided to look at specifically Serpent Mound. I don't know why, just it was so interesting to me. Uh, from a woman's point of view. And um, at the time, I was married to an astronomer, so I figured that was a good time to ask him um, where the moons were on Serpent Mound, what what the lunar alignments were on Serpent Mound. His name is David Chandler. He's an astronomer. And um, so I so he asked helped, him. He helped you out. Oh um, yes, and, definitely. And and just um, you know, I 
I feel like I would be remiss if I let this go by without commenting uh, before we before we get into Serpent Mound and you know mm-hmm. go deep um, just about the Iroquois women. I, I'm sure many of my listeners already know, but for those of you who might be beginners and new to this, uh, or you know we all can't possibly know everything about everything. Right. Uh, you know, it was uh, I believe you know the Iroquois women who uh, were so influential to uh, the founding fathers and, um, you know, they uh, influenced the founding fathers to, uh, I think it was, was it to write the Declaration of Independence? Um, was was that um, uh, the, the one um, constant, I, do you know? I, I don't know. I mean, I just... Or, or, or the Constitution. It was the Constitution. Um, it was a democratic. I think um, they kind of got the democratic concept from yeah. uh I'm not sure but I know the colors red white and blue were and the eagle came from from the uh Iroquois nation I think that's what I mean yeah, I don't it's, know it's, you can there's so much that we took from them uh that uh we just kind of take for granted I I remember yeah. growing up with succotash I you know just thought succotash was uh but it is a, a their um, the food that they eat, the beans, corn, and squash, oh, yeah. and then, you know, so they they yeah. had succotash. Yeah. It was a good rounded um, diet, and plus venison. Right. It's a perfect right. diet. Right. Right, but, right, right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's it's been a while since I've uh, since I've talked about that uh, Iroquois women connection to our founding fathers. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. So please just Google it; you'll find it easily. It's not an obscure thing. Um, uh, but but yeah, the Iroquois women, uh, you know, they had a council that uh, would, you know, the, the, they had to approve if the tribe was going to go to war and things like that. So, you know, this wasn't a culture where the men were in charge and the women were subservient. You know, the women definitely had uh, leadership roles, and uh, it seems like they exactly. were more of the gatekeeper, you know. Yeah, um, exactly. So anyway, have, have to get our plug in for our Iroquois women. Yeah, <laughs> um, definitely. So when... So anyway, getting on uh, getting on to Serpent Mound, um, uh, maybe we've given listeners time to uh, get over to Moon at Serpent Mound dot org, and mm-hmm. uh, maybe you know maybe they're. Uh, or looking at that right now, uh, you know, to see the pictures. So, um, so tell us uh, a little bit uh, about uh, what it looks like, Constance, for uh, maybe people who are, you know, driving in their mm-hmm. car or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, who can't, you know, do your best to give us a, a visual <laughs> about where where it is and what it looks like. Okay. Um, uh, you, if you go on the website, you see the first tab is Serpent Mountain, and it shows pictures. But uh, when you visit Serpent Mound, it looks like this beautiful expanse of rolling, grassy hills in like some well-groomed English park. It's a, it's a state park, and they take great pride in taking care of it, and it's just beautiful. Uh, but it is a mound shaped in the... Uh, shape of a serpent and it's about oh, three feet high and about a quarter of a mile long it bends it, it's just impressive 
um, and the serpent. So, so con- Constance, hang on a second. Um, mm-hmm. Just to, you know, maybe stating the obvious here, um, this is man-made, right? This is not a oh, natural yes. occurring yes. phenomenon. Yes. Okay. Yes, it is. It is man-made. Um, the ma- there's tons of mounds in Ohio, and all of them are man-made, and they're just huge. I mean, Octagon State National Park. You, it's this octagon that's so big that you can't see from one end to the other, and it, it's this mound. Uh, in the, sh- not the mound is the shape of the octagon, but it's the, the um, outside. Um, line of the mound is an octagon, and, and it's a it, it's an outline of an octagon. So this is just a long mound that's winding around in the shape of this serpent that has a head that is the mouth is open and it looks like it's eating a, an egg, um, and then it it undulates its body undulates. Long, you know, round um, about a mile, and um, there are like three um, curves that are kind of like horseshoe. That's how curvy it is, and those horseshoes, uh, the round part, face towards the east, and so they. Um, and then the tail, it has a spiral tail. Um, modern archaeologists attribute the mound to the Adena people, um, but whoever made the mound, they were actually great astronomers. And it's in southern Ohio, in Adams County, and it kind of lays on top of this ridge overlooking Bush Creek. And it it's a perfect place for an observatory. So, now, um, you mentioned, yeah. uh, you know, in some of the materials you sent me, you mentioned uh, Barbara Alice Mann's book. Um, yeah. Now, she, just, she, she said that this, um, the mouth is open and uh, the serpent appears to be swallowing an egg, but Dr. Mann thinks it's a medicine pouch? Yes. Um, she, the the great horned serpent uh, supposedly has a medicine pouch and so her take on the serpent mound is that it's a medicine pouch that he throws over his horns and there are two little small mounds that um, aren't reconstructed there in the mound but they are there Um, they've kind of uh, disappeared but if you take um topographical picture of the mound, you'll see the remnants of these two little dots on either side, mounds on either side of the face that represent the horns. Okay. And um, so so you you believe this is a perfect place for an observatory. Um, So what Mm -hmm. astronomical alignments um, do you find there at Serpent Mound? Well, I'll try to explain Serpent Mound simply and clearly in kind of non-astronomical terms. Uh, try not to put your listeners asleep. <laughs> because Thank you. I'm, Thank not you. An ast- <laughs> I'm not an astronomer myself, so 
um, you know, I had to ask and and learn all this stuff. Uh, what you know, all the vocabulary that goes with it. It's not much, but it's a, a concept. So um, if you go to the next tab on the website, it's the serpent's body. Um, uh, David Chandler, the astronomer, goes into very detailed explanation. <clears throat> but basically, um, the serpent <clears throat> kind of uh, has these um, uh, three curves that we're really going to be talking about. And um, the, the sun and the moon... Um, move over the mound, rising, you know, in the east and then setting in the west. But they also have a north and south drift according to the seasons. And um, the three um, curves register uh, solar and lunar alignments. Um, but most researchers... Uh, really have been concerned about the solar alignments, and uh, we were more interested in the lunar alignments. So as far as the solar alignments go, um, I mean, there's some, you know, discussion about this, but um, the solar alignments travel right down the middle of the curves, that make the body of the serpent, and they rise in the east. So um, you see in the middle of those curves the sunrise, the summer solstice sunrise, the equinox sunrise, and the winter solstice sunrise. And so you have the northern curve as the summer solstice sunrise, and then as the sun moves south, there's the the equinox and then south still is the sol the uh, winter solstice and then it moves back up north and you get the the spring equinox and then the summer solstice so it's it's back and forth um, north and south um, and these cardinal points I'm going to call them cardinal points uh, the solstice and then equinoxes mark the beginning of the seasons you know. And mm -hmm. so if they were really just interested in solar alignments, they could have, you know, drawn a, uh, taken two sticks and drawn a straight line and get that alignment very quickly. But they have these curves, the, the snake, uh, snake's body curves and has these undulations. And so we... Um, did some measurements um, and found that um, uh, because they were interested, we were interested in the full moons, we kind of pared it down. Uh, instead of going to all the moons, we went to the full moons. Easy to see, easy to calculate. And we came to the conclusion that they were interested in the full moons that were closest to the solstices and equinox. And uh, the indigenous people were interested 
in the sun and the full moon that mark the beginning of the seasons. Um, okay. Okay. So I, I don't yeah. I don't want you to you know I don't want you to give the you know uh, make this like a spoiler or something. Um, <laughs> but but you know just to so um, since we're more focused on the lunar and you know you're talking about the full moons, mm-hmm. do we have a sense of why they seemed interested in the full moon? What was the relevance of the full moon? Well, um, the the full moon, uh, there's lots of different reasons why they would be interested in the full moon. Um, just from a, a, a standpoint of the full moon, the uh, indigenous people honored the full moon as much as they did the sun. I mean, they have um, different uh, holidays that or different moons. In fact, we just had a strawberry moon that was called the strawberry moon in in ohio um i went and with my sister and my niece to visit this particular full moon that we just had in ohio and um it was called the strawberry moon and uh so we were out there at night (laughs) um looking in the rain for the moon uh, but we finally it finally cleared, and we saw the moon. We were trying to to verify some computer data to see if the moon came up where we thought it was would come up. Um, and did because it? Because it did it. Yes, it did. Um, and if you kind of scroll down on this page on the serpent's body. You can see all different kind of calculations about the full moon. Uh, it's very difficult to calculate because it has a 18.6 year cycle, um, and not only that, it, it, the moon wobbles. So uh, no one, except if somebody had a computer, could they calculate every year exactly where the moon would be in that cycle? Um, right. Right. So. The full moon. Well, and besides sh- the besides the strawberry moon, you got the wolf moon, the snow moon, the flower moon, the maple moon, exactly. the corn moon, the harvest moon. Um, so there, there's there's a lot connected to the full moon cycles. Right, and it varies between uh, where you are geographically in you know in the United States, and so the people um, that. I kind of looked at, and I'm still studying the full moons. There's still, I mean, I was just there to validate uh, a thesis that we had um, about why the full moons. Um, we, um, we felt that we were looking at the full moons because um, the, uh, in, in uh, Dr. Um, uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm losing my place. Um, in Dr. Mann's book, she said that um, uh, they were. Let me see if I can find the, the direct well, quote. Well, the she moons, says, the, the, well, we know the moons are responsible for amplifying events in the natural world. Um, yeah. You know. Yes. Um, so, so, so that's an. Imp- I mean, without getting too deep in the weeds. Um, yeah. You know, scientifically, um, you know, we we know the moon, um, you know, plays in it. I, I mean, just think about 
uh, out in in our normal world, you know, there's anecdotal evidence that on a is isn't in a full moon when you know uh, the moon tides change and you know they they say ERs hospital ERs. Uh, right. have more, uh, you know, more crazy activity, people doing crazy things. And um, right. so we know the, the full moons affect uh, humans and uh, the natural world. Right. And uh, so Dr. Mann writes in her book that uh, it was important, uh, as important of preventing unwanted conception as it was important to plan the conception so it of a child so it would be undue it wouldn't be undue burden and so they uh would watch the phases of grandmother moon that's what they called her um and tried to figure out when the best time to conceive um children were and so i mean as a woman we all know that we are kind of uh, related to the moon. We um, cycle with the moon, and and actually, uh, doctors have you know the 28-day cycle that they always talk about. It that's just an arbitrary number. If you study study the psionic uh, uh, moon, that's from new moon to new moon. It's actually 29 to 30 days where you have a cycle and so women cycle with the moons and um, there's been evidence of also um, synchronizing of women's menses Uh, there's been you know um, studies recent studies by uh, a women doctor and a nurse um, where they kind of just asked women if, you know, they encountered uh, synchronized menstruation, and they all said, yeah, yeah, it's kind of a known thing. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, even, and and plus the the Yurik tribe in California uh, some of the women there were trying to go back to the old ways of doing things, and they told uh, Thomas Buckley, who was uh, an ethnographer, uh, uh, that if woman, a woman got out of synchroni- uh, synchronization with the moon and other women in the household, she, the cure for that was to go and sit out underneath Grandmother Moon and talk to her. And then she would synchronize with all the other women in the tribe. Um, and and then you find out that um, many public cere- uh, ceremonies of uh, Native Americans were scheduled five days after the new moon so that they would com- be completely finished with their menses and they could join in in the ceremony. So that implies that women may have menced at the dark of the moon and ovulated at the full of the moon. So that's why we, you know, we're looking at the full of the moon. Um, Okay. It was an easy thing to measure. And, I mean, if you look around, uh, many doctors 
talk about how the full moon is when women ovulate. Um, but um, okay, you can so so. So what was the practical use of the mound? Um, I mean, was, it there, was there more to it than just uh, to tell women when their periods were? Well, um, actually, one of the things that a lunar calendar will do is um, tell you uh, when you're going to have your period, but also when the best time for conception would be. And so we, um, uh, there was a study at, at, you know, Princeton that um, said when the best time would, you know, be to conceive a child. Um, And uh, so they said... um, that uh, mothers who conceived from about June to August, which is actually right around the summer solstice, uh, gained more weight during their pregnancy and gave birth to infants who were on the average about eight grams heavier. And so uh, counting human gestation lasts for nine lunations from the conception which is 266 days, a nine lunar cycle of 29.5 days each. You know, the doctors, they always get it wrong because they count from the last period. But if you know exactly when you conceived, then you know by counting the moons when you're going to give birth. So we wondered if Serpent Mound would register the nine moons in the curves correctly, and we we tried it out. David wrote this computer program that simulated the full moon position for several hundred years, and we calculated nine moons beginning from the full moon closest to the summer solstice, and it landed right within the curve of the full moon closest to the spring equinox. So... Hmm. Having children in the spring, if you conceive them around, as Princeton says, June or or August, then you uh, have them in the spring. And uh, if you look at uh, the the tab, Women and the Serpent, on my website, you can see that... uh, if you can see if the woman conceived around the summer solstice moon and that's the moon that I went to Ohio to see to see if it came up within that curve um then you could predict that you would have your child around the equinox in the spring and that and, would have uh, some great advantages when you think about it, because you know if you're up in Ohio with these bitterly cold winters, oh God, um, yes. you don't want, yeah, you don't. I mean, and you're living outside basically. You're not living in a house with you know uh, central air and heat like so many people have today. You know, it's not like you. Mm-hmm. I mean, and maybe the most you have to keep you warm is. Uh, 
you know, a, a fire. Uh, you know, you don't want to have your baby in the middle of winter. The likelihood of the baby surviving is probably not as good. Um, you know, for the baby, if if it comes in the winter wet rather than the spring, mm-hmm. um, well, you know, and I, the, I would also they I, they I had just, it. Uh-huh. Go, ahead. go ahead. Well, the Iroquois. I was just going to say that the they had these, you, these you big go. long long uh, long long houses, these big long houses that they spent the winter in. They. That's what the moons were important for. Uh, they would follow the moons for the strawberry moon to know when to pick the strawberries. They'd, fr- they'd dry them. They put all this food up for the winter, and they lived in their long houses in the winter. And, you know, uh, they would uh, chew on maple syrup uh, candies and pemmican and all this stuff that they had put up for the winter but that would be you know in that way the woman could just sit in the longhouse in the winter and keep warm and 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 be pregnant you know and then when the spring would come then she would be able to you know give birth and likewise, I would imagine, um, you know, being able to keep track of this, it would also uh, be, uh, uh, you know, be an assist in preventing an unwanted uh, conception as well, right? Exactly. Um, I always laugh and say that this was the first evidence of Planned Parenthood in Southern Ohio, <laughs> because. You know, you would plan, you would be able to plan your pregnancies because the curves in the moon um, really catch the scatter of those full moons that appear around the solstices and the equinox. So if you were, um, you know, wanting to conceive at the summer solstice, you would be looking at the full moon that would be connected closest to the summer solstice. It doesn't appear on the summer solstice, but it appears around the summer solstice within, you know, two weeks or on either side of the summer solstice or on any, you know, uh, cardinal point the moon does. It's very hard to calculate when it, it will show um, and this is, it, you're looking at the eastern horizon to find out where, when it, it comes up. And, but they were able to do it with Serpent Mound, with the, the curves. Um, it, it, you know, technically speaking, it, it registers the, um, the northern curve registers the northern maximum and minimum moonrise positions, and the southern curve registers the maximum and minimum southern moonrise positions. It fits over that perfectly. So, okay. um, you know, you it, it proves that uh, Serpent Mound was a lunar observatory they were interested in the moons and um so women constant hang on hang on 
Constance, hang on. We're going to take a break, and I, I okay. want to come back and uh, talk more about your discovery here. Uh, but we, we do have to take a break here, and uh, we'll be right back, okay? Okay. Hello, let me say a few things about Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia, an exploration of Earth-based spirituality shot at sacred sites around the world. Here is what Drusilla Pettibone said on Dearmist.com. I was truly touched and even awed by the film. I don't think I can comment on it adequately until I've had a chance to watch it a couple more times. I really appreciate that there is so much substantive information to digest. For example, the info about hinges and tracing the horizon line is all new to me and totally fascinating. The film was obviously very beautiful and I was amazed how it was able to capture so many of the descriptions visually and seamlessly connect vintage footage with modern. I especially loved when images were dynamically superimposed on each other, like the lace with the water and the dancing in the flowering meadow. A visual feast, and with so many layers. I am also so pleased to have been introduced to Monica Shu and her work. It's so important for pagans to become aware of our heritage. It seems easily lost among so many new books, and the film really brought me home in a new way. Dancing with Gaia is available at dancingwithgaia.com. to uh, a trailer for Dancing with Gaia, Joe Carson's feature-length documentary film. Uh, in it, she interviews 15 visionaries and teachers about Earth energy, sacred sexuality, and the return of goddess as Gaia. Joe traveled to ancient sacred sites all over Europe and the Mediterranean to shoot this great film. Uh, these spiritual sites from northern Scotland to central Turkey profoundly affected the origins of Western culture. You know, if you've always wanted to see them for yourself but haven't, uh, this documentary provides you with a great opportunity to experience some of the best ones and get their story. The DVD comes packaged with a 45-page color mini-book, which goes even deeper into the material. And as they've already said, let me please repeat, you can buy the DVD and the booklet for only $20 at DancingWithGaia.com. That's DancingWithGaia.com. Okay, so Constance, um, let me mm-hmm. ask you. Um, now, this this I'm I, I'm not real clear about. I don't know a whole lot about uh, Dr. Barbara Alice Mann's book, uh, The mm-hmm. Iroquois Women. Um, it, it, did she, um, you know, was she making the connection between um, Serpent Mound, uh, you know, being connected no. to matriarchal culture? So is so this is your discovery. Well, yeah, um, she gave me the idea when she said that uh, Grandmother Moon 
uh, watch the, the women watch the phases of the moon, who they called Grandmother New, Moon, knowing that full moonlight was the time for conceiving children. They knew that Grandmother Moon had and still has control over conception and birth. So that Iroquois women seeking to become pregnant watched the phases of the moon to determine when they were ovulating. And that set me off, and I was, you know, well, where are the lunar alignments then? Where? How can... You know, how can you... What were they looking at? How did they What know? were they looking at? What could you do with this? And so we kind of whittled it down to, let's just look at the full moons. And um, when you uh, overlay the full moons uh, on Serpent Mound, um, then you get this, uh, like, it, the serpent's, body on that that tab if you overlay the the chart um this is dr bradley lepper's chart of the 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 north the most northern and southern drift of the moon as it goes it circles over the mound um those curves catch that uh dimension because the the sun's north and south curve are is is actually smaller but the moon is wider and so serpent mound fits that uh chart fits perfectly over serpent mound and you can see that it's purposely there to chart the full moon so then right. we we just said well you know When's, uh, if we started asking questions, when's the f- best time to have a baby? Well, you know, when, you know, and then we found, I found this study in Princeton, well, the best time to conceive is during the summer solstice, or around the summer so solstice, which so was you knitted, around the summer solstice. You, you connected all of these dots together. You, you know, right. this is really important, and, and, I'm, and look, and I'm sure you know this, but I, mm-hmm. I want to, you know, I, I, I want to reiterate this. You know, you, this is your discovery. You know, maybe you and David's discovery, and yeah, yeah, um, it it, you 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 need to document this and take credit for this. Um, that we, and well, I, that's, I, I, yeah, that's why we have I, a website. So I, yeah, but I but I mean, are you thinking of writing a book or? I mean, this would make a great PowerPoint presentation. I oh, mean, it's yeah. it's hard to convey these ideas on radio, but yeah. um, you know, it would. It, it, I would love to have you come do a Joseph Campbell roundtable uh, down here in L.A. if you're ever in the area and show oh. us this. Yes, you know, in fact, that would be I, incredible. I just presented this in Las Vegas at the Aswan uh, Convention and did a PowerPoint presentation about this. And I haven't really been studying it for very long because I got this idea and it just came together so quickly. It was like if you asked the right questions, the mound just kind of opened up, you know, when you you ask, you know, and and all because I was looking at it from a woman's practical point of view. Because we're always right. asking, when when's my period, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, and and, you know, they 
honored their their mensa their moon time uh there's uh situations where um you know archaeologists have asked the question where are the menstrual huts but if you have a small tribe of women that are all mensing at the same time this little tiny menstrual hut is going to turn into a big menstrual hut <laughs> you know a right and and so the women would be mensing at the could be mensing at the same time and it and you know for several days five days maybe and they would take this time out and use it as a time for meditation a time for introspection you know not like today where we're taught well you just you know tough it out (laughs) You tough, tough it, it out, out. You, you pretend go, you know, that nothing, go to work. nothing's happening. You pretend that nothing's happening. You stuff something up you, and you just keep on going and pretend like nothing's happening. And that's why I wonder sometimes if, you know, when women have so many um, problems with their menses, if they just honored their menses and and honored the fact that this is one of the most powerful times in their life, in their their month. I mean, this this really uh, takes a lot of time. Uh, it's five five days out of every thirty. That's that's yeah. a lot of time. And um, you know, you think of it. It's a it's a almost it's a it's a mini. I hate to say uh, call it a mini vacation because <laughs> a vacation kind of implies. I don't know. It 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 doesn't have a spiritual aspect to it necessarily, and it, a vacation isn't necessarily time for introspection or visioning and things like that. But in a way, it's a vacation from the normal toil of the mundane world, possibly. Yes. Um, yes. And 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 you get a chance to be in a different headspace once a month. I mean, imagine how that could keep not just a person balanced, but if all the women are doing this. It keeps yeah. a, a, commu- a community balanced instead yeah. of the insanity uh, forced on us today when people are working more than one job, when you uh, know women have uh-huh. a, a job, a house, a family, kids, everything to take care of, and uh, you know they maybe don't have a good relationship with their menses. Yeah, it, it, I I know, and um, you you know the the. The American Indian, the Native American, had this structure within their their life. The women had this this time, and I did a also some research on women's groups and how they started. And I think they probably started in smaller tribes when women were mensing together. And, you know, there's evidence like in South America in this place where you could, it was this place where it was underneath this rock facing that looked like a vulva, and there were all these big rocks with, uh, looked like table rocks where women had scratched in signs of their vulvas on this rock. And so you could tell that this was a, meeting place for women uh probably during their moon times 
and yeah. uh, you know, it was probably the first time women got together and started talking about, you know, and and talking out some of their problems. I mean, you know, we always talk about how, um, you know, she's on the rag, you know, she's very temperamental, mm. and she's well, maybe if we honored, um, you know, our menses when they came and took, if we could, take time off or just, you know, did something differently to to um, acknowledge what was going on in our body, maybe we wouldn't be so crabby, <laughs> you know, or maybe, well, and- maybe our crabbiness is, is really just uh, us asking questions of, you know, what's what what should i do the next month what how to solve problems you know and and introspection well, or maybe it's a it's a sign that something is wrong you know um mm-hmm. i think I, I i think it's a symptom or it's an indicator that we should be looking more closely and you know maybe it's a symptom of a bigger picture not only should we, are, should we be honoring our menses ourselves but society should be honoring women as life givers and uh, you know this these ideas of all of this you know taboo stuff around the menses that you know happens mm-hmm. in a patriarchal culture i mean that's all for the birds um, you know, it's as if the, you know, patriarchal culture is at war with women's bodies, whether we're talking about, uh, you know, menses being dirty and unclean or uh, women controlling their reproductive life, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. patriarchy doesn't want to give that power to women. And, um, and you know, and I think as a result of uh, patriarchy's attitude, women also have a bad attitude about it. And hence, um, you know, it's it's not always so smooth. But, you know, Constance, you are such an incredible creatrix. Your goddess <laughs> timeline, your sculptures. You know what, the next thing, girlfriend, the next thing <laughs> is a beautiful, artistic coffee table book. And I'm uh, serious, mm-hmm. you, have, you have to make the rounds of all yes. the red tents that you can find, you need to take this information to the red tent women. Um, you need to take this information to women's studies groups, wherever you mm-hmm. can get them to listen to you. I mean, there's so many different places you could present this. At the American Academy of Religion, you know, at uh, California Institute of Integral Studies. I mean, you need to own this and claim this. This is yours, and I guess maybe David's discovery, maybe I'm, he assisted you in some way yes. um yeah you know you guys really uh, you could this is a book seriously yes well you know yes. the next the next thing we're going to do is write a paper have it peer reviewed put it in archaeology magazines and really add this to the conversation of academia but then also put it out there in women's groups because it's um, it's important information. I mean, it's, it, you know, it's like we've kind of cracked one of the codes of Serpent Mound, I think. I mean, I kept asking yeah. David, are you sure? Are you sure this is right? Uh, did you measure this right? Because every yeah. time we would ask a question, something else would come up, like, um, you know, this, the, 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 the other thing that, that David found out was um, about the, the serpent's head which is really another interesting 
whole uh, aspect of Serpent Mound because they just, before we came down there, because this year um, the moon that was associated with the summer solstice was like, I think, seven seven days after the summer solstice. And the um, summer solstice um, is at Serpent Mound, it's a big deal. People uh, come in from all over and they honor the summer solstice, which is the setting of the sun at the, you know, in alignment with the serpent's head and mouth. And um, so actually, David said, that's really not a, it's not about the sun, it's actually about the moon. And this is how. Um, let me see if I can get this down. He he said that the the sun actually on the alignment is about a degree and a half off, and it and and so I'd always seen that, and I was like, how could these people who built this this incredible complex uh, architectural design have such a, an error? In their showing a showing showing a solar alignment, um, and so David said, "Well, what is it actually pointing to?" And what it is actually pointing to is about two weeks before the sun turns and goes back down, which is two weeks before and after the summer solstice. So. If you're looking for the full moon that is, is associated with the summer solstice, it's going to appear about two weeks, anywhere between two weeks before and after the summer solstice. And it's such an incredible phenomenon because what happens during this time is as the sun sets, if you are looking for a full moon, the full moon rises at exactly the same time as the sun sets, except on the op- opposite. So if you put both your hands out, um, you, both your arms out, your left hand would be the setting of the sun, and your right hand would be the rising of the full moon. And mm-hmm. so the rising of the full moon um, that is associated with the summer solstice is in that southern curve. Um, And so that's what we came to see is if the moon came up exactly where, you know, David had had the computer um, program analyzed that it it would come up. And um, at the website at the very end, uh, we have a, a diagram of uh, where that moon comes up. And so my sister and niece and I were out there in the pitch black waiting for the full moon to come up. It was actually, it was just exhilarating and it was great fun. And it came up exactly where we had, uh, you know, David said it would come up. So. So, there it so was. Constance, let, so let me ask you. So, are we from 
from what you just said, you know, all of this mm-hmm. and all David's calculations and everything, are we to take from this that uh, Serpent Mound is both a lunar and a solar observatory, or it was really designed more as a lunar observatory? Well, I, I think David says it's just a lunar observatory. I say that it is um, arbitrarily kind. It, it is, it is a solar calendar. You can't, you can't. For me, you can't do one without the other. It, they're so closely aligned, and you're looking and and you're looking for moons that are around. He's going to run the numbers again and see exactly where the the solar alignments are. Um, but uh, it, it, you're looking for the moons that are around that that the solar cardinal cardinal points, and um, that are closest to that. And sometimes they appear visually on the left-hand side or the right-hand side of that, the middle of that curve, depending on what cycle, 18-year cycle you're in. It's, it's um, you know, you have to look at the, so, the, the pictures to see it. But we think that it is definitely a lunar <clears throat> observation that has specific applications for Native American women of the tribe to plan the conception, measure the length of the pregnancy, and forecast the birth of the child. And it seems that the mound uh, points particularly towards conception in the summer for birth in the spring. Right. So well, that's, and, and think about that's it. That's what a lunar calendar can do. Right. But, well, in... And, and something we didn't actually address, and, and it, it's probably worth mentioning, you know, because, you know, it took a lot of effort to make these man-made structures. And, oh, yeah. and who, who, well, first of all, who's to say how they had the ability to do the, do the math, so to speak, you know, to, to so accurately, I mean, because we're always looking at, you know, ancient cultures and we're mm-hmm. wondering how they um, had the ability to do the advanced science and math that they did. I mean, that's mm-hmm. one aspect of this. And you know the effort it took to create these, because this is a big place, this had to be incredibly important. Um, you know, yeah. I mean, it, it yeah, I, I mean, this was not just, you know, um, you, you know, marking the, you know, the dates of the month, you know, with a piece right. of chalk on the wall. I mean, this was right. elaborate. Yeah, um, and it, it was. It, it, yeah, and it makes be, me wonder about other um, hold that thought. It makes me mm-hmm. wonder if there are other places similar to this. And my mind automatically went to Chitza Nitsa in uh, in Mexico. And and mm-hmm. I'm not saying I think it's a lunar or a solar observatory, right. but it, I, again, we're talking about the snake and mm-hmm. the serpent. And mm-hmm. you know, you have that um, pyramid there 
where at the at at the uh you know at at the solstices you can see the the serpent the snake quetzalcoatl whatever we're going to mm-hmm. call it actually kind of moving up and down the pyramid at these particular times and it makes me mm-hmm. you know it you're making me think maybe a lot of these places have to be looked at differently because maybe there's more to it than exactly. we thought yeah my son actually said the exact same thing. He mentioned uh, the Chichen Itza, the, the, the snake there. And, you know, I mean, there's, you know, Exchel has, is, is a goddess, uh, Mayan goddess uh, that mm-hmm. has the snake on her head. Um, you know, it, and, and we have not looked at this from a woman's point of view. But if these societies were matriarchal, um, to this type of uh, conversation would be an important conversation. It wouldn't be just relegated to women's issues. You know, I mean, one of the archaeologists said, if you look at the uh, Western literature, it's like no woman ever minced in her whole life. They just completely yeah. don't even talk about it. But well, with, you know, let's let's face it. In patriarchal society, it's all about domination and exploitation, and in matriarchal or uh, you know or egalit let's call it you know egalitarian yeah, right. societies. Right. Um, you know, it's it's about life. You know, right. it's about the creation of life rather than uh, death and domination and exploitation. So it is a whole different mindset. Exactly. So and you can understand why they would put the effort into things that promoted life and the life givers. And and uh, and they were very interested in making sure uh, that the women planned they wanted to plan their pregnancies so they wouldn't have they weren't baby machines you know they wanted to stagger their children uh mm-hmm. so that they could run their cuz they they ran their societies you know right and um they were very they lived very close to nature so they were very concerned about uh, you know, food, gathering enough food for the winters in Ohio. And so they had to know exactly when to plant, when to harvest, not only plants, but children, <laughs> you know. Right. Because yeah. the moon Absolutely. is connected to the best planting time. Also, if you look at the Farmer's Almanac and it talks about moons like this, they got their information from the Indians, they have, um, the the farmer's almanac is uh, um, you know taken from the Indian lunar uh, observations and um, uh, calcul you know I- interest. They have a whole right. uh, bunch of people now who are um, planting to the moon, you know, 
So Right, right. Yeah. Well, and, 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 you know, again, you know, going back to this idea of not just life-giving, but, you know, preventing pregnancy, you know, you mm-hmm. think these women, you know, uh, life was, you know, to, on, on, you know, in some, uh, you know, in some ways much more difficult for them. You know, they had, yeah. to, you know, maybe they wanted to have a few years between children because they had to nurse these children, you know, and, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, you know, you always have a baby at your breast, um, you know, and, and the, the time uh, to wean a child was longer, I'm sure, than in our modern culture. So they had to take a lot of things into account before they would be ready, um, you know, to have a baby again. Yes, exactly. Plus, there was just an article that I put on my Facebook page that I found that was just so interesting um, that uh, in the National Geographic that talks about how um, the grandmothers were the ones that were responsible for the children's development and human development because of their uh, menopause, they were still active. So while the mother was having children, it was the grandmother who helped take care of the children, and this uh, propelled human evolution. So grandmother's grandmother moon, <laughs> in so many yeah. ways, is so important. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Well, and and you know, I, it makes me think about Ava Park over at the Goddess Studio, who mm-hmm. uh, talks about the you know, and, and not just made Mother Crone, but made Mother Queen Crone. You know, mm-hmm. I I I I think you know when a woman is in her queen, uh, oftentimes is when she you know, and, and she's responsible for her realm, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, the mm-hmm. people, the and and it makes me think about these menopausal women who no longer are in their mother phase, and they're not in their crone phase, and like you just said, they are sort of responsible for the evolution of their, let's call it, tribe. And, yeah. you know, these are, you know, it, it makes it makes perfect sense. I mean, it, it you know, you stitch this all together, and you have a new blueprint for such a better way to live. And and the fact that the women, this, this, ca- this lunar calendar gives women so much knowledge about their body more knowledge i think than many times we have today i mean we we didn't i mean when i was starting my menstruation i was and i'm 69 now that so that was a long time ago um i had horrible cramps and i went to this young doctor and said you know is there anything you can give me? And he said, he looked at me and he says, dear, it's just psychosomatic. And I was young. I, didn't, ah! I said, what, what's psychosomatic? And he said, it means the pain is all in your head. I, wa- I wanted to say, no, it's right about down here. It's not in my head at all, you know. But, oh, you know, I swear. And, and then, you know, now I didn't know uh, when I was growing up, I was always like, I, I don't ever hit the 28-day mark for my menses, you know. Uh, I'm always off. Well, because actually if you would calculate by the moon, you wouldn't be off. But 
that yeah. 28 day is just an arbitrary number that somebody made up, and it's not really the because we should be counting our menses by the lunar psionic calendar, and right. um, you know. And then, you know, to find out um, that, you know, when we we get together in groups, we can we sometimes synchronize our menses. I mean, there's so many things that we, as women, um, don't don't know because we are so away from. Uh, our, our original our natural our natural cycle yeah right, i mean right. Well, look you know i mean women are put on a cycle by that little plastic box of birth control pills yeah you know right, we're right. we're put on we're we're put on this artificial cycle and that's all most women know and uh and that's you know sadly uh unfortunate well um Constance, we are uh, just, you know, we're seven minutes past the hour here, oh, so we're about okay. ready to, to wrap. Uh, but it's, okay. it's been interesting. It's really been interesting. And um, thank you so much for bringing this uh, wonderful information to my show. I'm honored that you would present it here. And uh, I'm serious about if you want to come down to L.A. and, you know, give a presentation maybe next year uh, for a Joseph Campbell Roundtable, you know, a PowerPoint, it would just be fascinating. So think about that if you uh, find yes. yourself down here. Yes, that, that would be fun <laughs> because okay. I think okay. this is kind of my next thing that I'm going to do. <laughs> Okay, well, yeah, I think so. You really should. You made mm-hmm. an incredible discovery, and now you have the responsibility to bring it to the world. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, please give your websites again um, so okay. that uh, people can find yes. your timeline and everything. Oh, that is uh, goddesstimeline.com, and uh, I think I'm going to kind of um, – uh, take a rest from the um, the images of the goddess. I, I'm going to kind of uh, work on this. I'm I'm getting older, and uh, I kind of need some inspiration in this uh, serpent mound. Uh, uh, moon at serpentmound dot org um, is kind of my next project. So um, yes, I still sell the timelines um, and. Uh, the next one everyone should have one of those everyone (laughs) should have one of those everyone should have one of those (laughs) (laughs) well i wanted it you're incredible (laughs) thank you so much you're incredible too Uh, this this program is just absolutely wonderful well you know we we are all we're all each other Yes, I, I believe that too, and um, you know we we all are carrying a little piece of it, you know, because mm-hmm. there's so much for us to restore, um, so much that needs to be rethought, uh, so much needs to be retaught, uh, and you know it's just going to take all of us with our little piece. You know, we all have we all have a thread, you know, to create mm-hmm. the new tapestry, and uh, I mean I I think that's how I look at it, you know, and we have to support each other however we can, but. 
Thank you so much for being on tonight. I know this was a challenge to present this material without <laughs> uh, visuals, um, but it was so uh, smart of you to have the website people could go back to to look at as you were uh, as you were talking. And no doubt you probably have some of the information on the website too, so yep, um, they, they yes. can get it there as well. Okay. Yes. Well. Well, Constance, thank you. Uh, thank you for your timeline, for your sculptures, and now for this. I mean, what a legacy uh, you leave behind. <laughs> you are just incredible. Well, thanks for the radio program and inviting me. I really enjoyed it. Well, well thank you, too. I, and good night, and, uh, and let's stay in touch. I'm serious about the Joseph Campbell Roundtable, okay? So am I. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that about does it for me, uh, dear listeners. I want to thank you all for tuning in uh, as tonight's uh, show comes to a close. Um, what great stuff uh, Constance and David uh, figured out uh, for all of us. Uh, she's an incredible woman with incredible talents, and uh, I'm so glad to know her. Uh, please do go to her websites and see uh, all this, uh, this, this, uh, this body of work she has created. Um, no doubt you will want uh, a goddess timeline or a sculpture, uh, you know, for your for your own library, for your own coffee table. Um, so uh, that about does it for tonight. Uh, I will be back uh, with you uh, on the 18th. Um, the next uh, with um, I forget who my guest is, so I'm not gonna. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to say, <laughs> um, but uh, I will be back soon. And uh, if you, um, you know, s need a fix of Voices of the Sacred Feminine before then, uh, there's lots of great stuff in the archive. So I invite you to please go there and uh, avail yourself of some of the wonderful um, uh, guests that uh, I've had on the show uh, over the years. Uh, there. Even from the earliest shows, they are still as relevant today uh, as as when they were first recorded. Um, we have so much uh, that we have to restore uh, to uh, society. We really do. And uh, just turn on the news and you realize... Um, how vital it really all is. So uh, thank you, dear listeners. Um, if uh, you would like to help me support this show and keep it on the air, uh, your uh, donations of any amount or much appreciated, uh, you can go to my website, karentate.com. Once you're there, go to the Goddess Store page. Once you're on the Goddess Store page, scroll all the way down to the very bottom. There is a PayPal button that you can uh, leave any amount at all, uh, however small, uh, it all adds up. Uh, you also can um, uh, take a look at my books and Goddess Greeting Cards. There are free meditations there. Uh, and if you're interested in um, making sure you get a copy of my monthly newsletter called Dancing at the Edges, um, uh, please let me know and I will add you to my email list. Uh, and one last thing, make sure you hit the follow button on the Voices of the Sacred Feminine show page so you don't miss any great show uh, that we have here. Uh, that way you won't have to rely on getting a Facebook notification or an email notification. It should show up in your email box uh, 
you know, whenever the shows air and you can listen at your convenience. Okay, uh, that about does it. Uh, Good night and stay cool.